In 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons, the single largest lackluster choice is what, Ian? Feet, but <laughs> that's not what we're talking about today. I'm going to stab you. <laughs> <laughs> Weapons. <laughs> and I hope that our wonderful guest, Alex, agrees. I love being here. Welcome, heroes, to the Crit Academy. I'm your host, Justin. I'm your co-host, Ian. I'm your guest, Alex Baum. We are so excited to have you. If you guys Welcome don't back. know, Alex does amazing uh, <laughs> content on TikTok and Twitch. Uh, I am lucky enough to to be one of her players in her D and uh, D games that you can check out every other Friday. Initiative and Intrigue, which is awesome because she's an amazing DM. And I'm not just saying that because she's sitting right there. I truly mean that. So. I'm not just saying that because I can kill your character. <laughs> that too. So, uh, we hope to inspire you with creative content that you can bring with you on your next adventure. So, I want to hear Alex's thought on the weapons and their quote-unquote variety. And how does it... Do you feel like it adds anything when you pick your characters? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, I was literally talking about this that uh, at one point I played a barbarian, um, a pa uh, ancestral guardian barbarian, and I was so dead set on this guy carrying a maul or like um, a club of some sort, some sort of blunt force trauma weapon. Mm -hmm. And um, I literally was sitting there with Max and with the other players and I was like, oh, I think I'm going to do like a club. And they're all like, oh, you're going to you're not going to do a, a great axe. And it turned out that it was because it does significantly less damage and there was no plus side to being able to um, play because there's this uh, Oni, the Oni, which is a Japanese demon. They carry these uh, insane clubs and I've always wanted to be able to recreate that into Dungeons and Dragons and also just take from other places and other inspirations. Mm -hmm. Um, like, example, having sickles. Like, sickles are amazing and sound like such fun weapons, but they're just... Trash in 5th edition. It's it's a crime to yourself. It's doing yourself a disservice to pick it. So this is extremely exciting to me. Yeah, yeah and that's something that we've talked about in the past. You know, when it comes to weapons in 5th edition, and by extension armor now, since we're expanding upon it, Yeah. Um, it doesn't feel like it really matters. So there's no reason not to take the higher damage dealing weapon. Shoot, I remember when in Gamma World, they even didn't even bother listing weapons. It's like, here are the weapon categories, pick what you, what you want, just say what it is. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Actually, I'm going to be running Gamma World at uh, one of the conventions I'm going to, so I'm so excited. Uh, <laughs> oh my god, that's so exciting. Yeah, I love it. If you don't know what Gamma World is, it's uh, a post-apocalyptic game based on the 4th edition D&D, and it's so much fun. I think at one time, I was wearing Tyre as an armor. <laughs> like that's where I got the mailbox idea for my character, the mailman, yeah. hitting people with mail yeah. mailboxes instead of malls. And the one game I played in my weapon was, was literally a garden gnome duct tape to a stick. A garden gnome? Oh, the hat's pointy. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> All right. So, anyways, uh, so the 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 one of the best parts about D and D is creating your character. So, 
Um, we know that in fifth edition, many people constantly are saying there's not enough options, there's not enough options, there's not enough options. While I don't disagree that there's more options in other games, at least there's less that lead to dead ends in fifth edition. But one yeah. of the things that's always fun in the older editions and pretty much any RPG is choosing the type of weapon you got because it's not just the mechanics that come with it, but the flavor. And we want unique mechanics. You know, I think in previous editions, picking a dagger gave you a bigger crit range, for instance. Yes. So that was a reason. It does less damage, but it's more likely to score a critical strike. Um, and we wanted some of that back in our fifth edition game, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that we struck a bit of success uh, with um, weapon perks, which was our single-handedly our biggest selling product in all of our categories. And if people are buying it, that means they want it. <laughs> yes. Um, and so what we decided is we wanted to expand upon this. First of all, everyone's asking, why isn't there a print option? Why isn't there a print option? Why isn't there a print option? Well, we don't get to choose that on drive-thru. Or DM's Guild. Yep. So we decided we wanted to take our experience with that and expand upon it for our newest product, uh, Equipment perks, uh, which is also going to uh, go towards um, weapon or armor as well as weapons. And so I sent, um, I've been sending out ideas over the last few months and posting yep. them and stuff to get feedback on our um, from our our followers that want to enjoy more of these options. Yep. Because think about it, even armor. Armor, when you get it, it does two things. Increases your AC and screws you on dexterity stealth checks. That's pretty much all it does. So once you get a higher one, there's no reason really to ever wear yep. anything less. But what if there was? I mean, let's be real here. M most uh, martial characters, once they get plate mail, well, why would they use anything else? Right. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Alex, before we start getting into some examples? One of my least favorite things that ever happens at low levels is whenever you have a paladin who has some kind of armor that uh, gives them disadvantage on stealth checks. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, you're like level four. You're just getting into it. You're doing, you're just getting going to things. And that person doesn't get to participate in the stealth mission because they don't have, they have disadvantage on the checks. I find that so disheartening, I think. And yep. I think that it would be really um, cool to be able to, Eliminate the, almost like eliminate the limitations, but also add more nuance. I always like nuance. So adding more nuance to things is extremely fun. Yeah. And that's kind of how we feel at this point. And uh, also by the same token too, the AC for that armor that gives us the stealth checks is so high, the Peldon's mindset would be, on assembly, why would I wear anything else? <laughs> right, right. And so uh, we want to do a couple different things. First of all, we wanted this to apply to all the weapons in that category. So yep. perks also apply to magical weapons because it's a feature of the equipment, not necessarily a magical effect, if that yep. makes sense. So let's get that out there. And I also think that this makes the, the character creation option much more engaging because now when you're building out your character, like, oh, well, what weapon would be best for me, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not all about damage, though I am going to start off with one that's more damage because I feel like the dagger just doesn't get enough attention and love, right? So um, one of the, the design philosophies that we went with was trying to utilize more 
skill checks during battle, right? Yep. So one of the first ones we gave for the dagger, it actually a dagger is one of the few that gets two features. The first one it gets is hidden weapons, where they can do a sleight of hand to try to hide up to two daggers on their person. Yep. If they attack somebody with one of those da- hidden daggers, they get an increased crit range to 19 to 20. Yep. Which is very much along the lines of what it was in pretty much every other role-playing game in history, yep. as far as I know. Do you disagree with that? No. Um, first of all, before we get into the next one, Alex, what do you think about that? I think that's incredibly fun. I like it. I have I have nothing else to say but, like, praise. I don't know. <laughs> that's perfectly okay. You can uh, say how great it is. I'll listen. <laughs> I'll, sho- so, I'll shower you with I'll shower you with compliments. So, um, uh, no, no, I do think you did address this with other uh, weapons with the perks, but something else, another way that daggers have been disadvantaged is you can really only throw one in most cases. You throw two as a bonus action, right? But a rogue's never going to give up a bonus action to okay. do that. <laughs> okay. But the point though is, like in addition, like you just keep drawing them and throwing mm-hmm. them but with the current rules like you can draw one weapon it's like but that doesn't make any sense for throwing weapons <laughs> yeah especially when you can hold four in your hand and <laughs> no so um so we figured yeah. that wasn't enough that's very yeah. circumstantial but it's kind of nice so then we're like well why don't we give i'm i'm, I'm a big fan of the 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 people that use daggers are cheap and dirty fighters right yep so we went with cheap shot which basically when a creature within five feet of you Critical hits on an enemy within your range, you can exploit the distraction and use a reaction to make a melee weapon attack. Backstab. Yes. As a as a DM, I despise that. As a player, I love it. <laughs> That's perfectly okay. So one thing that I think doesn't get done enough is we don't do enough with reactions no. in 5th edition. Um, so you'll see a lot of mechanics that de- lean into the reaction and bonus action categories more so than the action although to, although to degree with the reaction part i think the rules kind of get in the way sometimes too as written what do you mean well the, the my main go-to for example is spells writing and actually have to cast a spell mm-hmm. like as written like like oh you you, you lose a spell slot because you casted it it's like no i didn't because the action didn't trigger yet for me to cast it there oh you're talking about when you like ready an action or something like that yeah yeah in that case yeah that's pretty obnoxious everyone hates that i hate that i was hustled that out out. (laughs) i mean i understand it makes sense you've you've cast the spell and you're storing it like i imagine it's like you know goku holding his spirit bomb right right he's channeling it and then he gets punched in the face by frieza and anticipates you know but at the same time i kind of view it as like uh saying i'm getting ready to shoot my bow don't fire it but you still lose the arrow anyway (laughs) <laughs> yeah, okay. There's a reasonable argument for that. So, all right. Uh, any more thoughts on the uh, dagger? Is there something else you would have liked to see on something like this? It's fun. No, I... The, well, one of the things that I very much enjoy is whenever you include into combat checks that are not combat. So, like, this idea of including the sleight of hand into uh, an attack... I, I always find those kind of things very enjoyable because it's just uh, delving a little bit deeper into like, oh, like I need to make sure I spread out all my stuff and I need to make sure that I have every, all my bases covered. It almost like uh, negates people who like to like mid-max in the bad way mm-hmm. and break things. It, this almost like negates that and I like that. 
And I also think that it's a good way to encourage uh, people to go into certain skills too. Like, um, I think one of the first features that I saw use this, and I could be wrong, there could be another one, but it was the Rogue Mastermind's Insightful Fighting, where they could use mm -hmm. a bonus action um, to con do a, like an insight check to gain advantage on their next attack. I thought that that was cool, and I realized, why isn't there more of that? Mm-hmm. And so that kind of was part of the design philosophy going forward. Um, the next one I want to talk about is one of my favorites because I think that this should be in more items is the javelin, uh, which I'm sure you guys know is a thrown object. Yep. So, of course, we gave it something related to that, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Basically, uh, when you make a ranged attack, you, uh, you can uh, attempt to pin a larger, smaller creature to a surface, such as the ground or a wall. Um, on a hit, you forego your normal damage, so you are losing damage output, right? Yeah. To pin them to the ground. So when you do, uh, <laughs> you deal your strength modifier, because you know you're hoofing it, um, to them, and, and they have to make a strength saving throw, or their, remo uh, their um, movement is reduced to zero until the javelin is removed which takes an action either from the creature or another creature within it, making an athletics check to free it, contested by your strength, which is not uh, actually in the ability. There's, the modifiers are basically 8 plus your proficiency plus your strength or dex, the player character's choice. Yep. What do you guys think about that? I absolutely, and I, I adore this. This is, this is my favorite one that I've read so far. Um, the reason why this is my favorite one is because javelins are such a quintessential um, uh, weapon whenever it comes to a lot of different cultures and a lot of different a lot of different like um, like Norse like kind of uh, Greek kind of um, effigies that you want to create within a character within a within a space. But javelins suck. And I believe that there's actually a um, background. I, th I think it's gladiator. I don't remember. But there is a background that specifically gives you javelins. And I remember people would sell those javelins because it was like, why would I use these javelins? Uh, the thing that I picture whenever I see this, I immediately picture um, a like paladin that doesn't have that like that like um, isn't very stealthy, and then a, and then um, a rogue going out, and then the rogue going okay now, and then the paladin just pops out real fast and just chucks it and uh, and sticks into a tree. Like I can imagine, this is something that sparks inspiration and oh, sparks. Yeah populates more ideas in my mind of more ways that you could that you could maneuver or get around a situation and that's always what you want absolutely what mm -hmm. are you thinking now i definitely think it adds more utility to, to weapons aren't usually used but something else to do kind of want to point out that if players can use these weapon perks you better believe the enemies can oh too. <laughs> absolutely we want to make sure that that's very clear so um so imagine goblins with these well and and, and i think you make a good point of that you, having a horde of goblins chucking these at your players yep pinning them into place and then bugbears jumping out and ambushing them while they can't move run away or anything because imagine how that feels if a barrage of these hit your your melee fighters, and then bugbears jump out and chase your casters around. Yeah. Like, that is just terrifying when you realize you're stuck. Um, and that's one of the benefits of the equipment perks, is that they apply to anybody wearing the equipment that's proficient with them. <laughs> Don't send you. Are so useless that probably uses them as tent poles. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, that's, so that's a kind of the, you can start to see the kind of way that we went with some of these mechanics. Some of them are focused on, uh, some of them are damage buffs, but, um, most of them aren't, right? Most of them are status effects or, um, some sort of condition that gets applied. Um, and it's worth noting that you can only get these benefits if you're proficient and, that means not everyone's going to be able to do it, and that's okay. But anyone that is proficient, and you'll notice some casters and stuff have limitations to simple weapons or whatever, right? Um, so the next is the short bow. This is a very commonly used weapon, um, and because of that, um, it has a more defensive uh, mechanic, right? Uh, it has open the range, right? Which basically means you're able to easily kind of keep a distance um, when an enemy's approaching. So when an enemy enters your reach, so within five feet, unless you're a bugbear, maybe ten feet, yep. uh, you can use your reaction to move up to half your movement speed. Yeah. If you do so, you add your wisdom modifier to your AC until the end of your movement. Now, that doesn't say you don't provoke op attacks. You still provoke an op attack when it enters your reach. But you can then run away, potentially getting out of melee range of an enemy. Yeah. Even if they do get one swipe at you, the higher level you get, the bigger of a threat that is, right? Because yeah. you go from one swing to two strings to three swings, it becomes very potent. But the smaller capacity of the bow really lets you be m more maneuverable. <laughs> um, what do you think, Ian? I definitely agree that, the, that giving the short bow as utility is nice because in most cases, the long bow is so much better. Why, why would you use a short bow? Yes. And I've seen some games that try to add incentive to using short bows by adding disadvantages to long bows, but when I mean, those disadvantages don't, don't make any sense. <laughs> like in Pathfinder 2, for example, you, you, you actually have um, a attack penalty to any time you take an enemy within 30 feet of you with a long bow, but not with a short bow. I'm like, that makes no That's sense. That's weird. <laughs> like, it's still... Anyways. Yeah. Alex, what do you think? <laughs> so, I have a question first. Does this uh, reaction of moving half your movement speed uh, provoke an, an attack of opportunity? Yes. It doesn't uh, ignore the case, opportunity attack. What it does is it boosts your AC so you have a less chance to get struck, but allows you to potentially yeah. move out of range so they can't swipe at you more than once. Basically avoiding multi-strike. I'm trying to think of what it is. I'm pretty sure it's kobolds. I don't remember if it's kobolds or goblins, but one of the two of them has a thing where, like, pack tactics kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um... I immediately think of that, but I immediately think of this on creatures that um, more poke at you mm -hmm. and then run and then poke at you and then run. Mm -hmm. um, I like this that. This would be incredibly fun uh, on like kobolds. Yeah, and it's definitely meant to be more of a survival mechanic. I think it was inspired yeah. by a. Uh, there's a mechanic that the uh, the one of the rangers gets where they can basically always use the reaction to. Um, increase their armor class and run away. Um, obviously, this is significantly more limiting because it's tied to a specific weapon, but the concept was the same, so they could try to get out of dodge when big giant Brutus with a maul the size of a house comes knocking on your face, you know? Yep. So it's definitely uh, a utility ability because that was the other thing is we wanted to make sure that it wasn't all just dealing more damage. So there's a lot more mechanics that are like this, whether it's for the armor or for the um, uh, weapons, right? Yeah. Um, so, I think we talked a little bit about some of the weapons. I want to get into the armor, because I know what you're thinking. 
Well, what can you do with armor? It's all the same, right? It's just an increase in AC. How are you going to make it make sense without making it magical? That was hard, by the way. Yeah. That's very hard. Um, I, there was a lot of reiterations on the ones we have now, and still there's some people that think they're not right. Um, now those are the loud, loud people, but, um, but sometimes they make good fights. <laughs> they sometimes do, which is why we're on like version three of some of our, some of our equipment, right? <laughs> <laughs> because we're not going to pretend to be, you know, everyone has, it takes, you know, practice to get it down, but I think we've done a pretty good job. I'm going to be honest. So think about it. Padded armor. How many people wear padded armor? Well, depends on what kind of padded armor, but no one. <laughs> yeah, nobody, very few wear light armor. Padded is like the lowest level of armor. Even in the light category. Well, what I think, what I think is very interesting is that I know for a fact that bandits wear padded armor. Do they really? Again, this can also be used. This can also be used on wep- on enemies. Mm-hmm. Bandits use padded armor. Mm. Well, let's talk about what this perk does for our padded armor, because I know you're all excited to learn, right? So we've given it improvised triage. The simple design of padded armor allows it to be quickly removed and can be used as bandage gauze in an emergency. While wearing this armor, if you are unconscious and dying, a creature has advantage on wisdom medicine checks to stabilize you. Additionally, if they roll a 19 or 20 on that check, you regain a number of hit points equal to your proficiency bonus. Yep. What do you guys think? I think it does a good job of giving you a little extra something without being too broken. I'm glad to hear that. That's like the fourth iteration of that. <laughs> what do you think, actually, Alex? Actually, the thing that this actually makes me think of is allies in the field. So let's say there are some, since I said bandits, there are some bandits that are attacking a village and you need, and you have been, you know, constricted by the mayor to ward off these bandits. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps the, uh, guards of the town are wearing padded armor. Ooh, and nice. And so then there is an action economy choice that the players have to make. Right. Do they let this comrade die, or do they take the moment that is an even easier moment than it normally would be to stabilize them? Ooh, I so like this that. is to me, this immediately goes action economy for me. Like, what do I do? What and do I, I think take that moment uh, to stabilize? It's good if you have weaker NPCs in the the in the area too, because I can totally see that happening to a player yep. and uh, a PC that doesn't really know much about medicine with no bonuses running up and just trying to rip your rip part of your you know shirt off your sleeve and your armor and and wrap it around your bandage just so you don't bleed out and give them an increased mm-hmm. chance of success when they wouldn't otherwise have that. And if they do mm-hmm. a, a superb job, you get up, which is just a little bit increased. I don't know if everyone knows that, but you get one hit point if you roll natural 20, right? Yeah. So yeah. Um, I, increasing that a little bit, increase that success rate for this particular type of armor and does kind of give a little bit of a, a, a safety net. Um, not as much as we would like, especially with spells like Spare the Dying. But that's not always available, right? Especially the per- if the person wearing it's the one with the spare the dying. <laughs> or the party doesn't have a cleric. <laughs> or the party doesn't have a cleric. Um, so you can kind of see where we were trying to go with this uh, equipment perk. All about versatility. And you're going to see some of that goes through the rest of our armors as well. Uh, I don't know, Ian. Have you gotten to see what we did to chain? what was done with chainmail? Yeah, I did look at it a little bit. Bludgeoning resistance. By design, beneath the interlocking metal rings is a layer of quilted fabric that's used to cushion the impact of blows. 
While wearing this armor, bludgeoning damage you take from non-magical weapons is reduced by an amount equal to your proficiency bonus. Ooh, that's damage reduction. Yep, a little bit. A very small bit. <laughs> what do you think about this, Alex? Uh, sorry, I saw what the next one is, and now I'm super excited. But um, <laughs> uh, I just, I, I, that's something that I've been like, I want it to be a thing. So I'm really, I'm, that makes me very excited. But um, I think that that is actually incredibly fun. And I, I, I also think that that is one of those things that chainmail is typically not worn by um, higher level. Normally mm-hmm. they go to like half plate or plate or something like mm-hmm. that. So uh, I think that this is a great thing to kind of soften that area in between like level f- three and like level eight where it's like, ooh, uh, I don't want to kill you, but I'm going to kill you in one hit. That thing. That's a, that's a good way to soften that for a DM. And then also on the other side, I think it would be very, very, very comical to watch this big, this, you know, they're trying to get this guy, they're trying to get this guy, and uh, the barbarian just comes and gets a big old swing and it just barely does anything. <laughs> and and that's kind of the, the point of the armors, right? They all specialize in blocking or absorbing certain things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we tried to make that come across little bit of digging through history and some flavor to figure out what would make the most sense. Tying it to uh, proficiency means it gets more effective the higher you get, but nothing outrageous. I mean, at level cap, it's six. But that means uh, a, a goblin with a hammer is probably not going to hurt you, <laughs> which is kind of the, the point, right? Um, yeah. So since you're so excited for the shield, why don't you tell us about it? So, uh, the shield, it has a plus two to AC, um, has no properties, and shield slam. When you score a critical hit with a melee weapon, you can use your bonus action to make a staggering body slam with your shield against the same creature. The target must succeed on a constitution saving throw or be stunned until the end of its next turn. Got a lot of flack for this. It's too powerful. One thing... I think it's a neat feature. I can see why it could, people can it powerful. But it just occurred to me that one thing we could do, could, is if your opponent rolled in that one when they're attacking you, as a reaction, Ooh. <laughs> you can either do something like this or not come pro. <laughs> You're a man after my own heart. I actually don't think that this is incredibly overpowered. And the reason why is because it's a constitution saving throw. Mm-hmm. Whenever you're talking about scaling, whenever it comes to D&D, one of the things that is almost always scaling upwards as you get into the higher CRs is their constitution score and the amount of, of creatures that have an extra bonus to their constitution saving throw, the saving throw specifically, I would gather to say is like a, a decent chunk, like over 30% of the higher level monsters. Yeah. I wouldn't actually necessarily say that this is incredibly um, is incredibly overpowered. The other reason why is because it's stunned not like unconscious not it's just stunned yeah well and and it requires you to score a critical hit too so right that really makes it its use very infrequent but you've already crit so although it could be more useful for for barbarians with their uh reckless attack it's almost like you're in my head almost i don't want to be there it's it's a weird place (laughs) (laughs) he's not wrong (laughs) You ever played uh, uh, Psychonauts? 
Of course. It's a lot like that. Yep. If you haven't played Psychonauts, shame on you. <laughs> yep. So, um, yeah, so this actually is on version, like, 5, right? Yep. There was a lot of debate on how Shield Slam should function. This one I like, but honestly, I kind of like the reaction based on a nat 1. Yep. Because now you're giving an opening to severely punish if you're wearing a shield, which I think is really cool. Yep. And then chat one of the guys did say that they think shield bash should be an ability for people that with shield proficiency. And you oh, know what? Of course. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, and that's exactly how our perks work. Yeah. If you're not proficient, can't get it. Oh, that's actually a good thing to highlight, yeah. 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 <laughs> if I didn't highlight that already, you can't use weapon perks if you don't have proficiency, which is a perfect segue into exotic weapons. Yep. So... What is an exotic weapon? I am so glad you all asked. So, in previous editions, exotic weapons were hard to get and required special training or a feat or something to get, right? Yep. That's not any different here. All your weapons with your perks that are on your uh, player's handbook table are available for everything. But our exotic armors and our exotic weapons aren't on the player's handbook, which means the GM has to open up the opportunity for you. There, you have to find a way to train to learn it, whether it's downtime or finding a mentor, or you can take a feat that nobody ever takes. Yep. You know what feat I'm talking about? Uh, quite a few, actually, but... Well, hey. specifically, uh, Weapon Master. Yep. Which basically says you get to learn 40 weapons and become proficient in them. It's like, the problem, though, is you either have no use for them or you already know them anyway, so why take it? Which is why it's trash. But now we're making that option more more appealing. Because it's easier to just take a feat to get what you want than it is to seek out a trainer that can teach you how to use the katana. Now, before everyone on the internet says, Justin, katanas are long swords. Yes, I know, I know. Yeah, we know that. But <laughs> since there's a lot of hoopla for it, I felt like I was obligated to include it. <laughs> Plus, I'm a huge anime fan, and I love Aroni yep. Kenshin in every samurai flick where they draw their blade and, and you know, cut people in one stroke. <laughs> and just that we made whips more usable. Yes. Uh, you're welcome. Trevor, we got you. Yes. Let's <laughs> so, talk about them today, but yes. <laughs> so let's talk about katanas for a second. Uh, this is on version 3, so we have made some adjustments because people disagree. Although I wouldn't be shocked if it's going to be a 4 and 5 down the line, but hey. <laughs> you know what? You shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so first, let's talk about damage. Now, we wanted to keep it within – the one thing we want to do is make sure we're consistent on damage ranges, right? Because while we want the exotic equipment and armor to be better – we don't want it to be so much better that the other stuff is obsolete, if that makes sense. Yeah. So for Katana, we made the damage 2d4. Yep. And it's versatile for 3d4. And it's finesse. Not anymore. <laughs> oh, yes, it is finesse. Somebody was giving me a hard... I almost changed it. Somebody's giving me a hard time about rogues. Rogues can't use it because it's not something that they're proficient with. Yep. So whoever – I forgot who I was arguing with about it. I was like, rogues are proficient. Anyways, yes, it has finesse. So you yes. can use strength or uh, dax, yeah. right? It's like, yes, we know rogues are proficient. We never said they were. <laughs> yeah, but it's not something that they can get without training, and maybe they'll train to get it. Maybe they won't bother. Who knows? Maybe they'll use a feat slot. Yep. Anyway, so do you want to tell us about its deadly draw? Yes. Ian? The deadly draw, the unique design of both the blade and the sheath allows you to accelerate the blade when drawn. When you ready your action to make immediately a weapon attack, on a hit, you, you roll the attack roll. If both attacks hit, you score a critical hit. Before I get to him, Alex, what do you think? So first of all, I just want to say that I think that this is a this does really good justice to like an actual katana, uh, because this is actually how they would use katanas and samurai would fight. They would like 
wait. They would like sit there and wait. Um, so I, whoever, whoever did this one actually researched the actual culture behind Katana. So nice. Very good. Um, I think it's very fun. I also think the readying your action is fun. Um, I think that the readying your action would be very interesting in the sense of if like you had an arcane archer, uh, who banish it and then come back, uh, and the guy's just sitting there like, I'm ready. Um, but also the other way that I kind of like think of this is an ambush. That's mm-hmm. uh that's where my mind immediately goes with this is is like an some kind of ambush and I I love ambush. We don't do enough ambushing in <laughs> D&D. Um ambushing is so much fun whenever you actually like mechanically you get down to it and like it's it's great. So like this just uh of course like again sparking inspiration, sparking thought. This just sparks me to be like ambush and I like it. Yes. Sure. What do you think? I would imagine that because like you're using your ready action to attack and you roll twice, would you still have uh, extra attack with this? No, you don't get extra attack when you're ready in action. I did not think so. So that, so that does help balance it out, especially after level five. Yes. And that was some of the people say, why would they do this if they get extra attack and they lose one attack? I was like, sometimes there's situations where waiting is better. Yep. Like, for instance, you can't get within range is the first thing that comes to mind. Waiting around a corner for an enemy to come and... As soon as they come, yep. as, which is exactly what Alex was talking about, ambushing. And I think one iteration you've done in the past, too, was you put all of the weapon dice you would get from extra attack into the strike. But this kind of does the same thing to yep. a degree, kind of. Yeah. Um, and, in, and what makes this interesting, though, is, yes, you're more likely to get a crit. That's the point. But you're not getting extra attacks, and your attack may never go off if it's got a specific trigger. And yep. that's kind of the balancing. It significantly increases your chance to crit, by the way. And let's also be real here, too. If you're fighting an experienced enemy and you clearly ready an attack, some of them might go, wow, they walk up to you then. And that's fine. Or I was like, or I'll just throw my axe at you instead. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love that. <laughs> just like, why is he just standing there with his hand on his blade? I don't know. Shoot him. <laughs> so, because let's, let's be real here. Most enemies are completely stupid, even though some DMs forget that and run them that, that right. way. Yeah. And <laughs> once again, it comes down to a patient style of combat. Yeah. But most most likely it's when you can't get within range or you're ready to ambush somebody. Or maybe you have good allies and you're used to fighting with Brutus who chokes some people and drags them to you. Then you slice them up, right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. you can't get within range, but you know Brutus going to jump over there like the Hulk. Grab a bitch by the neck and drag him over, and then, you know, you finish him and skewer him. So, anyways. So, uh, somebody's talking about uh, take aim for snipers. That is certainly something that we have uh, tinkered with. Uh, I think on the longbow, when you shoot at your long distance, you get to add your wisdom modifier, I think. Well, Delta was like to talk about her homebrew rules. Oh, yeah, I only see part of it up there. <laughs> yep. Yep, which is in this case, take aim if depends taking cover. The target's AC is reduced by five, and if they hit, it does one point five damage, and if it's a crit, three times damage. Yeah, that's something I wanted to get into, but I didn't end up doing that. Was the double damage, uh, yep. triple damage of dice, right? Because yep. that was common in practices in the past. So the last thing I want to talk about is a exotic armor called Mage Weave. Um. It is a light armor, once again, uh, a lower tier piece of armor, but it's 11 plus your intelligence. Now, it has weave resistance. While not magical in nature, 
It's uniquely crafted by the strands from a massive-eyed creature. <laughs> I can't say Beholder because I don't want to get sued, right? But you all know. <laughs> that has resistant to Weave's magical influence. While wearing this armor, damage you take by magical source is reduced by a number equal to your proficiency modifier. Yep. It's a pretty happy-go-lucky round. What do you, What do you guys think? I think it's fun. I think it's incredibly fun. I think that the amount of customization that you would be able to do, I mean, imagine, imagine being, uh, like in a city, like, like you're in, you're in the first big city that you ever come across and you just got your first big kill and you have all this gold to spend. And there's a, there's a weapon, there's a, everyone wants to go to the armory and the sorcerer is like, I don't want to go to the armory. There's nothing for me there. <laughs> and then the sorcerer walks into the armory and there's this beautifully crafted, very, uh, you know, MMO-esque, uh, uh, robe for this, for them, for this, this weave for them. And then they're like, oh my goodness, what is this? And it's like, oh, this is specially crafted for magic users and yada yada right. from beholders. Like, oh my God, would you not just drop all your gold immediately? Yeah. And yep. I think this is priced at like 2000 gold in my paperwork. So it's not cheap. Perfect. But all the that's exotic stuff the first is. Big kill. And that's the other thing. This stuff isn't common, right? No. It might as well be as rare as some very rare magical items because you need to spend right. either skills to find to uh, to learn it, plus you have to find it, which means you have to work with your dungeon master on it, which hopefully they will already be th- thinking about it. But it's supposed to help. Most importantly, it's supposed to replace a very specific spell. Mage armor. Mage armor, armor, right? Because who wants to be dumping their spells on something like that at a higher level, right? That one slot may make all the difference. I'm thinking at you, Shield. (laughs) I actually, oh man, I actually think what it would be a really, really good thing would to be, okay, so there's a catch. It's $2,000, or it's 2,000 gold. But you have to kill another beholder and bring the strands to me so I can make another one. Like, that's the best part of the bargain. You're on to it. She gets it. She gets it. I love it. <laughs> yes. It's made by, by immersing the crafted armor into the fluid from, the, from its eye as you drain it. <gasps> That's awesome. I was thinking like retina, like nerve nerves. The nerves? Is that the corner? What is yeah. the, the What is the band of nerves behind your eye? Mm. Am I smart enough to know what that is? That's what I was thinking. The threads from that. Anyways. Uh, overall, that is our examples of our new upcoming Kickstarter exotic equipment perks. Um, it goes live on September 20th. We're really, really excited. Um, we're going to continue improving these and getting feedback so it's the best and balanced as possible. Um, I hope that if you're watching this now, um, you'll consider backing it and help bring this project to life. We've been writing it, but there's still a lot that, uh, um, goes into it, artwork, layout, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, if this sounds like something you're interested in, please head on over to rebrand.ly slash exotic perks and back it because you believe in it. Um, help bring it to life. And if it's already successful and you're just checking this out for the first time in the future, click on the pre-order button or the get it now and hopefully uh, you'll be able to Take your D&D game to the next level. Overall, what is your guys' thoughts on the equipment perks? I do think overall adding more options to players is a good thing. And it adds more uniqueness to the equipment you're using. And adds more that was what I'm looking for, impact to your choices. 
I see what you did there. Yeah. Let the enemies feel the impact of your choices. That's good. Right yeah. Right there. That's some that's some high level promo that's, stuff right there. That you, is. Alex? That really is. <laughs> um, I I adore it. I always think that you know one of the things that is so important to me is to be able to um populate someone's brain to be like to give them a little a little morsel a little crumb and mm-hmm. then be like oh my god what if they had to fight the beholder to get another thing for him so he can make another like all that kind of stuff um and whenever you put these kind of like little small trinkets into any world not only is it so widespread and so easily widespread but it just but it it just it makes it feel a little more real and it just makes the the flavor a little bit more deep and dense. And it's just, I really enjoy these kind of things. This, this is this is the exact kind of stuff that I enjoy. Yeah, me too. So oh, yeah. that's why we did it. Definitely check it out once again. Um, get notified right now when it goes live. You push that algorithm. The more people that are notified, <laughs> shows it to more people. So you can help us out uh, in a very big way. That'll do it for our main topic. Let's move on to our honor tips and tricks. And now, what you've all been waiting for, our Unearthed Tips and Tricks segment, where we bring you new and reusable material for both players and DMs. As always, uh, our Unearthed Tips and Tricks are here for your D&D pleasure. Today we're going to start off with the Monster Variant, which is going to start off with the stat block from the Saguahan. How do you say that? Sahagan. How about you, Alex? Sahagan, that's how I know it. Uh, damn it. I guess I'm calling it Sahagan now. Um, <laughs> so it's going to lose a whole bunch of features. Anything that has to do with swimming, get rid of it all. We're going to give it two, uh, several new features. Pack tactics, we're going to give it, which is advantage when there's an ally nearby. Uh, and we're going to give it aerial acrobatics, which basically allows it to have advantage on all um, acrobatics checks. Additionally, while it's riding its mount, and it, the mount doesn't provoke op attack, essentially giving its giant eagle mount flyby yeah which is amazing it's called the wind rider by the way oh yeah i didn't even say the name did i nope. yes uh, the name of the monster is the wind rider uh, <laughs> and we're gonna give it bird telepathy which allows it to uh magically talk to any birds and then we're gonna give it a lance the lance that has a really good reach does a d12 of damage which is phenomenal um, and then we're going to top it off with a fancy wind burst technique that requires uh, – shoots a beam of, uh, of wind at a high rate in a uh, five-foot or ten-foot wide by hundred-foot uh, range and forces a save on a failure, reducing someone to zero movement. Do you know what that means when you're flying? You fall and go splat. Or if they do succeed, it knocks them 15 feet. Yep. What do you guys think about something like this? That's fun. Uh, so do they keep their CR one half and CR one? So the monster itself is a CR uh, one half, yes. And then the the there's some debate whether the flyby pushes the uh, the monster out of the CR one, but since its AC doesn't increase and it doesn't do no more damage, technically it's within CR. Well, what's the CR for a giant owl? Because they have flyby. Actually, a lot of birds have flyby in general. Hmm? Uh, I don't know. I don't know, but I don't think uh, it's not one of the categories that's measured for determining right. a monster CR. So yes, they are within the same CR. But uh, when you add abilities like that that aren't really quantifiable, um, it's definitely a challenge. Uh, I definitely like this. I like this for uh, a, a strong uh, audio. Uh, okay, 
for what's worth, Giant Owl has a one quarter CR and they have five eyes, so I think we're good. Yeah, we're good. <laughs> so the thing that I was like thinking about is uh, not this campaign, like I and I, but the one before that one. Um, I had a I had an Aarakocra in my in my thing at level, and we started at level three, and it was actually incredibly difficult to balance because he was able to fly. And I've heard this from so a myriad of DMs, just uh, like, you know, flying at very early, early levels is it makes it a little more challenging. I mean, it's doable, but it's challenging. But I actually enjoy this because I really I really wish I actually had this while I had the Aarakocra at my table so that he would be in the sky. And he's like, oh, I'm all safe. No, you're not. <laughs> gotcha, bitch. <laughs> Hi. Um, <laughs> nets are amazingly effective. Like we had a uh, a battle in one of our uh, PvP matches for Clash of Classes. Our where first a, one, actually. Huh? Our very, our very first one. The barbarian got caught in a net while raging and couldn't get out. So sometimes oh, no. the rules are not in your favor. No. And a net on a flying creature, they fall to the ground. So I mean, that's what that's what I ended up doing. I ended up netting him a bunch, yeah. and he got really upset. He's like, "Stop it!" And I'm like, "Well, then stop flying." <laughs> so these guys are pretty straightforward. Uh, for me, they are guardians of fortresses and defenders of you know mountain cities, right? So that'll do it for our monster variant. Our encounter is Runnerfall. Yep, the earth groans as something massive moves far below your feet. Sudden tremors rock the ground. And the ancient trees fall into a winding chasm of the earth. The PCs must make a DC 18 strength athletic chest to outrun the fissure. Or they fall 100 feet into the dark. <laughs> Are you feeling okay? Yes. Do you need a Snickers? Because I don't think you're being yourself. This episode is not brought to you by Snickers. Hey. But if you wanted to sponsor us, we'd take that. Hey, just, just because I'm usually a player does not mean that I don't appreciate some being evil. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this is pur- purposely left vague um, it because what can, what's at the bottom? First of all, unless death. you're an Eric Alcara, it's going to suck. Uh, secondly, <laughs> the Underdark is first thing that comes to my mind, which means you're going to wake up in cages yeah. uh, a la, what is it, Abyss? Uh, out of the Abyss? Yeah. Wait, what do you think, uh, 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 Alex? This is a pretty straightforward concept. Nothing fancy about it. So this is just... I don't know. This is just what came to my mind, but in the in the D and D Magic the Gathering crossover, there was a land that was a forest, but it wasn't actually a forest. It was a mushroom forest under the ground, um, like underground mushroom forest that had little peakings of the sun uh, mm-hmm. out from above it. And so, what I think would be very interesting would be it would be a very nice way to just suddenly. Uh, open up a one shot maybe into into a into a totally different spectrum and totally different place with lycanthrope and you know or not lycanthrope um what are the the mushroom things but it would be just a fun way to to open up a a into a whole new setting like you are now trapped down here and there is no way up so the only way you get up is exploring the mushroom kingdom king koopa run yeah <laughs> Can you imagine adventurers running into a plumber trying to fight off some giant enemies? Yeah. I could to be also honest, see this I do it. <laughs> as a way to introduce a dungeon. Or maybe it's actually <coughs> a uh, prelude to the invasion by the moment. Ooh, I like that. So it's pretty straightforward. I like that it's open-ended, but it does beg the question that I think is in part of the reason why it's like this. When you're doing something like this, should you in- do it by an athletics check? 
or should it be based on speed alone? Hmm. I can see it going both ways. Ooh, that's the challenge. Or it could just just mean that your kingdom has a purple worm problem. <laughs> Need to take care of that. I like that. So feeding it into something that like burrows. That. Yep. I like that too. The purple worm. When yep. you fall into a big hole, it's like, what is this? Picks it up. It smells funny. Uh, Bill, I think that's purple worm pile. <laughs> Are you really? It smells kind of like poopery. <laughs> is that where that comes from? It is purple. Anyways, um, straight, straightforward. I think these sort of encounters are fun because they can be random, right? Yeah. Obviously, you don't want to do this one particularly too much, but something like this can be, oh, you're you're traveling, you know, three days, nothing eventful. Roll a roll a uh, 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 die. Oh, the air, the ground begins to tremble. What do you do? Run. Do they or fly? I don't know that they would run. I feel like players would just be like, uh, what's going on, guys? Nature check. I'm pretty sure the ground is going <laughs> to... And it falls out beneath them. Anyways, pretty straightforward. I, that's one of the things that I actually love to do, and I just did it to you guys in Initiative and Intrigue. I say I say a, a, a vague thing, like you hear a rumbling, like you you hear a rumbling, or like with you guys, it was that, that uh, pocket opened mm-hmm. up, and you have one... You have no idea what it's going to do. You have right. one action. What do you what do? What do you do? And... What's fun is whenever you're doing that in like a hallway or something, some people duck, some people step back, some people jump. And, you know, one of those is the right thing, but they don't know which one. And right. so that's what this kind of leads me to as well. And I and I, li- I really like what you did there because you didn't give us a choice. This thing happened and you said, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? What do you do? Yep. And uh, it changes. Luckily, I had a, a immovable rod that I could just hold on to. Yep. <laughs> it's a portable safety uh, safety handle. All right, that'll do it for our uh, encounter, run or fall. Uh, our magic item of the day, uh, Alex, would you like to tell us about it? That comes from Book yeah. of the Ebon Tides from Cobalt Press, which is amazing. I got it, and it's I've read that before my Spelljammer stuff. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, all right, so what we're talking about is the Instant Door from Cobalt Press. It is a wondrous item that is uncommon. Um, this item resembles an ornate key of bright copper, often inset with semi-precious stones or detailed with, with engraved filigree, scroll work, and ornaments. While holding the key, you can make a, you can make a turning motion to create a door in any wall within five feet of you. This door goes through the wall up to five, up to five feet feet thick, creating an exit that remains until you remove it. Uh, turning the key in the opposite direction turns any normal, non-magical door into a section of stone or other material matching the wall on either side. Uh, would, Wood, I don't know what that other word is, waddle? I have no idea. Plaster, plaster, and so on. Is waddle like... Yeah, waddle. What, what is it? Mud? Uh, yeah, I want to say like, kind of like mud and straw or something. I want to say, don't quote me on that. Yeah, that's what I thought it was, so we're probably, we're probably <laughs> correct. I love this idea. I love the idea of the players just having a key to instant access somewhere. Because I think this is another one that falls under the category as a DM, I hate it. As a player, I love it. <laughs> well, I think it, it it can keep you on a to- your toes as a DM, but mm-hmm. it also allows you opportunities to have a little fun. What if one of the 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 doors that they open is there's a guy sitting on a, a John, you know, mm-hmm. just dropping a deuce. 
<laughs> you know, you don't know where that next room goes to. Um, and I think it's really fun utility. I find that this would be really interesting um, as a way to get on in and out of their own fortress where there's no doors. It requires this special key. Now, this might require some DM interpretation, but think of a way to, to potentially also bring you to a safe. Yes. Vault. Oh, that just instantly gave me the idea of, like, you have to go do this thing, and to do this thing, you have to get through this keep, but the keep is, like, a maze, almost, and the only way through <laughs> is this key, but, like, sometimes there's traps, sometimes you go into rooms, like, that's immediately where I go, is, like... Yep. This key is the key to getting to the thing you need, but it might lead to your doom as well. Yeah. I think what's really cool about something like this, and it gives me, do you ever hear the, uh, or see the, uh, it was a mini series called The Room, where they had a key and it always, no matter what door you stuck it in, it went into this one motel room. When you come out, you can come out any door you can think of. Yep. It's really cool. And I think something like that is uh, just fun and useful. And being locked out and just opening a door next to where they're all guarding is just, yeah. I don't know, it screams fun. Also, my inner, yeah. inner rules layer d- d- does go, it does specify walls, not ceiling or floor. I really don't like you sometimes. <laughs> Why do you have me ruining my fun? Well, I'm thinking... I only bring that up because I flash back to one time I gave up Pathfinder where the DM was very clear. Okay, we have a, a three-story dungeon that goes down. You gotta fight through all of these floors to get to the final boss at the very bottom. Me or stone shape, stone shape, stone shape, bow for it. <laughs> it opens all the floors. <laughs> I love that. They get pissed off. She's like, and you're at the bottom floor. <laughs> I'm gonna, we're gonna have to call it a night because I've only had the first two floors prepared. <laughs> All right, it's a pretty fun, interesting item. If you haven't checked out Ebon Tide, uh, you need to. Um, that'll do it for our magic item. What is it? The instant door. Yep. Our dungeon master tip of the podcast is go to the market stalls. This is also from Eb- Book of Ebon Tides because there's some good shit in this book, and it really was just feeding my inner nerd. So, um. How many people often have the players go shopping, right? It depends. It, it can get a bit boring usually, right? It can drag on sometimes, yes. Um, so something that they did here to make it more interesting, because now you can say, oh, you go to the market and you shop around, you get some stuff. Oh, uh, you find common food stuff, including dishes and all the nations, uh, uh, all nations of the, the mortal realm in less than an hour. You're good to go. Or a visitor wanting to enter the area uh, finds a rare and illicit substance. Um, but if that's what they're looking for, they must spend 2d4 hours searching and succeed on a DC20 intelligence check, investigation, or a charisma deception, intimidation, or persuasion check at the DM's discretion. So now this is giving you a little bit of um, guides to, hey, if they're looking at these, use this little chart here. And determine what they what they're able to find. It basically is a easy reference chart. Yes, for your players to do it, and it can be solved in an instant with a roll, which I think is a very fun way to do it. Um, especially if they're looking for like more exotic foods is one of the other options, right? So I feel like having one of these posted on your DM screen would be super valuable because now you can include the rolls and skill checks in those seeking things at the market mm-hmm. and it's to go by really quick where you're not having to role play everything. You know what I mean? What do you guys think? My first thought is, is shows because everybody knows that whenever you do a shopping episode, 
and the entire four hours of the show is shopping. It's not, it does normal. The only reason why it's fun is because the players like goof off and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so oftentimes whenever there are shopping episodes, you either want it to be interesting and fun or expedite the situation. And this almost does both at the same time. Yep, I agree. I do feel like when they do shopping episodes, it's fun for the first item. Yeah. But then Jag's on after that. Yeah. Oh, I want to get a long sword. I want to get bags of balls. I want to get some cow traps. Oh, I also want some manacles. How about, oh, we should pick up some, ra- you know, and j- you're right. It drags on, it drags on, it drags yep. on. You roll a die, determine what you find and what you don't. Hey, uh, you could do one through ten. Um, they find, you know, basic rations, and that's pretty much all you can find in the market. Yep. There's not a whole lot that's outside that. Oh, you roll a, a 15 or a 16. You couldn't find a whole lot. There's a couple pieces of uh, weapons and merchants. Um, give me a persuasion check. Oh, okay. You're able to negotiate down a little bit, and here's what you pay. Yep. That's it. Move on. Keep it going. So Keep it going. Man. I really thought it was really great. That'll do it for our Dungeon Master tip. Our player tip of the podcast is... Don't, don't be, be a dick. dick! And you can avoid dickitude by... Don't avoid the spotlight. To a point. Yeah. It's one thing to not be the center of attention all the time. It's another thing to swing to the opposite extreme so much so that you fade to the background and don't really participate. Um, not that that's a bad thing. No. And but, and I wasn't necessarily in the role playing either. So. Yes. But it's okay to take center stage every once in a while. Even if you're combat heavy, like um, Ian or Troy, sometimes you need to get something, some information. Maybe you just jump into the center as the aggressive type for a moment so you can show off that part of it. Um, What I think is really cool, it's okay to take that center stage for a while, especially if you talk to um, the uh, dungeon master about it ahead of a time and let them set up scenes that tie in your character directly. So that way, even if you're not engaged in the scenarios that involve the whole party – Maybe giving you uh, two or three minutes of a one-on-one time uh, at the table will let that part of your character come out to the players, yep. not necessarily their characters. And I think that that's a good way to share your parts of your character with the players, but still keep the character as a um, separate from the party, if you will. I think I'm thinking Edge Lord usually is kind of this type of person, but um, <laughs> you know. In most cases, the DM will be willing to put in a lot of work to make special moments happen for your character. DMs, we love creating those special moments, don't we? Yep. So if you're the person who likes to sit in the corner, maybe occasionally just talk to your DM. Say, hey, I would like a moment just to explore my character just a little bit. Not Mm -hmm. too much, so you're taking up too much time, but enough that you can share your character outside of their... You're 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 kind of staying staying yeah. back. I'd love to hear what you think because yeah. I know Ian's uh, very much on this kind of spectrum. Yeah, I am. But sometimes it's also a balancing act too because I have, for example, in some cases, I once after a game of like a Star Trek, for example, a DM complains like, "Oh, it's not my fault. You guys didn't do anything." And it's like the module was a science mission down on the planet. I'm the guy who steers the starship. What am I going to be doing down there? <laughs> <laughs> See, that makes sense. And hopefully everyone right. understands that. What about you, Alex? Um, 
I, I really love this, especially because I just have like this memory of a player who I, I, I know him by his username, JK, but uh, he played Airdiax, who was this uh, really, really cool Minotaur person, Minotaur character who was cursed. Um, who was cursed for like 500 years or something like that. So he came back and he was like, oh my God, I don't, everyone I know is dead. And Erdi, uh, JK just had such fear whenever it came to, uh, whenever it came to like role playing. Mm-hmm. And I just remember that moment that, uh, JK was like, uh, so Erdiax walks up. And everyone in the, everyone in the party was like, what? 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 Air, okay, everyone be in like, Whenever, whenever I say the entire party was excited for for JK to have a moment because he had literally never had a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like we all at the end of my games, we all give each other inspiration and give each other compliments. I Everyone that, give the JK the compliment. Yep. Um. So it is. It is so utterly true that we always, always, always are willing to work with you in order for you to feel more comfortable. And of course, if you're an audience member player, which is what I just call people who like sit back and like to watch the chaos mm-hmm. and then randomly add in a couple of things, that's totally fine too. Like you're welcome to be. But if if you don't want to be an audience member, but you feel like you have to because of your own anxieties, mm-hmm. like please come talk to us. Yes, we we want you to. We will facilitate this and make a space for you to have to happen. Now, I just flash back to a point where also I think what what can be built onto this tip let other people have the spotlight too. Yes, because I did have a brief flashback where, as you yourself said. I'm not really that big in the role-playing, and therefore I don't necessarily consider myself the strongest role-player either. But I remember one time where I was with playing with a group one time who was very heavy into role-playing, and there was one time where we were essentially from an alien council. And due to my character's class, I was considered a heretic, according to their, their religion. And as we were doing an open forum, there was one point where I decided to try the role-play. I'm like, if I, if I may interject, but then the players and groups said, shut up, heretic. That would piss me off. It did piss me off. I was like, I barely get to roleplay. I was trying to roleplay, but then I was being told to be quiet. <laughs> now, granted, there was some in-character context for that, but I was like, dude. Yeah, still, especially if you're not usually, yeah. <laughs> you know, trying. Yeah, let share the spotlight. What's and, wrong with you people? And like I said, there was some context, but. <laughs> yeah, but still, there's, when you're in a situation where you've got somebody that doesn't speak up very often, finally speaking up, listen. Even if you think that's what would your character do, who cares? It's what they're doing. Yep. I hate that saying, by the way. That's what my character could do. Fuck your character. Well, there's a balance of that, too. But uh, Anyways, so, uh, overall, um, I think this is a really good tip and something to, to keep in mind, um, even for those that, would you call it an audience player? I really like that, by the way. Audience member. Audience member. All right, so that'll do it for our player tip of the podcast. Don't be Don't a- be a dick. Before we close out, first of all, I want to say thank you to Alex for filling in. Brandon is expecting a baby along the way. So I think this would be a great opportunity for you to plug Alex Bombastic Oddities. That's coming out early 2023. Would you like to tell the audience about it? Because I know I'm excited. I know you're excited. Let's hear it. Uh, So hi, uh, I'm Alex Bomb. Misspelled, of course, because I am insanely dyslexic. And, um, I am, I'm, I'm going to be an author. Uh, I've been working with Justin for the past couple of months to be able to be, uh, a Kickstarter in early with, with them in early, uh, 2023, uh, around like the February mark. And it's, uh, it's for Alex's bombastic oddities, which is, 
in my kind of vision of it is a book that is everything that I wish I would have had whenever I started dungeon mastering that is able to provoke thought or create, create in your mind the the um the things that you need in order to populate a world and and um be creative and actually dungeon master um and it's it's really special to me and it's really important to me uh because i am i out of this scale of dyslexia which goes to one to five i am a five i'm 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 severely dyslexic i was actually illiterate in the second grade i was uh i was faking it i was faking it i had to repeat the second grade i had to do special ed i had to do special reading programs i had to do uh after school reading i had to skip you know all this kind of stuff and um i was told by a lot of people in my life that i was never going to be an author and that uh, just several people in my life that I expressed that to, they kind of told me to shove it to the wayside, so I did. And uh, because Justin is so kind, he has given me the opportunity, and he was really the one who inspired me to say, wait, can I do this? He really was, because uh, he trusted me to be able to write stuff for the Patreon. So if you've been reading the, um, if you've been reading the most recent um, lore about the maps, or if you have been reading the billboards, that has been me. That's that's my writing, and um, because of that, because of bottom. that opportunity, what? Said so your name's at the bottom. I know it is. It's so cool. But um, so I have been able because of that opportunity. I was uh, I I gave myself a chance, and I and we're, and we're gonna do it. So the book is uh, <laughs> I have I have subtitled the book uh, Alex's Declassified DM Survival Guide, oh, which is very nice. much. I have, I have, I have, that's, that's the, that's the running joke about the book, but that's literally what the book is. It's just, it's like a pantheon of gods. It's some really cool races. It's, um, interesting, actually nice and intangible and usable ways to, uh, come up with NPCs. Um, and then a bunch of oddities that are just a D100 and D20 tarts in the back of uh, things that'll make your world feel more real, like, for example, things that you would find in a used bag of holding. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, uh, that's the book. It's coming in, it's coming in uh, 2023, and I'm working with Justin. Yes, we're uh, really excited. So, um, should you have a sign-up link, if I'm not mistaken, where people can follow? I do. Do you want to drop that in the chat, if Alicia hasn't done so already? Um, and... Uh, I just want to say, uh, you're uh, you're a great writer. You're very creative. If you have not seen Initiative and Intrigue, it will blow your mind at how great her world building and role playing skills are. So come check it out. Plus, we're all awesome. <laughs> like you got you got a collection of really great role players. I mean, I'm kind of on the low end of that, but the rest of them are really no. amazing. Um, so um, if you enjoy the show and you'd like to support us. Please visit us at CritAcademy.com, follow us on social media, and leave us a review. Um, definitely consider signing up to get notified of our Kickstarter uh, for equipment perks if you enjoyed this topic today. Um, I think that'll do it for our show today. I'm your host, Justin. I'm your guest, Alex Baum. And I'm your co-host, Ian. Thanks for listening. Keep your blades sharp and spells prepared, heroes. Heroes.